listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. We've been in this series uh, from glory to glory where we've been discussing the book of John uh, from beginning to end. Um, we started it, Pastor Jason's vision, in fact, was that we would start it during the season of Christmas and that during Christmas we would focus on Jap- John chapter 1 and talk about the miracle of the incarnation, uh, Jesus uh, becoming flesh. And so Jesus becoming full, he was already fully God, but becoming fully man as well. And that we would walk through the book of, uh, or the gospel of John all the way uh, to the resurrection story. Um, and so it's, a, it's an ambitious endeavor. Uh, at the same time, we fall short in the sense that we're not going because we want to end with the resurrection around the time of Easter, we're not going as in-depth in some areas. And we're, for the most part, since the Christmas uh, story, uh, we've been, or since the Christmas season, we've been basically going chapter by chapter. And there are some areas that we skip where obviously we can't emphasize uh, all areas that need to be emphasized. So we've been asking the church to make sure to be in this season of the uh, Gospel of John to be reading with us and going in for the gems because it's just full of so many gems. Um, and, and, and I encourage you to keep doing this if you've been doing that. Aside from whether or not you have a Bible reading plan, you want to make sure that you're also just investing your time into the Gospel of John. Now, one of the great things about stories, I love movies, um, and one of the things, great things about stories is that sometimes they deal with some of the most quintessential and fundamental aspects about people. Uh, and one of my favorite themes in, in movies is the question, who are you? Who are you? And it's a question that pops up in different forms and in different ways throughout movies. Uh, for example, in the movie The Matrix, the first Matrix, that is, um, which, by the way, I think it's on its 20th anniversary, more or less. It's 20 years ago. Woo! Man. Um, but yeah, the Matrix deals with this fundamental question of who are you? Um, Neo, the main character, basically has to figure out whether or not he's the chosen one. And then it turns out later on he has to probably think about whether he chose to be the chosen one. And so it plays with this aspect of who are you and uh, are, are, are you at peace with figuring out who you are once you arrive there? But it's not the only movie that does this. Many movies do this consistently. Uh, in the original Star Wars trilogy, the, the, the really good one, <laughs> in the original Star Wars tri- trilogy, Luke uh, is this farm boy who wants more out of life, but then he comes to face that not only is he trying to find his own place, but he also realizes that eventually he has this legacy uh, uh, from his father that he doesn't want to embrace, a legacy of the dark side. And so the question that he asks himself in a sense is, is he his father's son? Uh, as redundant as that may sound, is he destined or doomed to follow his father's footsteps or does he break uh, away from his father's legacy? In the newer or the newest uh, trilogy that uh, is currently ongoing and will conclude this Christmas, Ray is the main character of the new Star Wars films 
And the same question she is facing, of course, she has to find out or is puzzled or troubled by who she is because she seems to be this very powerful, untrained person that can manipulate the force. Um, and she, she feels like she matters and that she's someone important, but she places that value in who she came from. And so consistently, this question pops up to Rey, even in the, in the last installment of that trilogy, The Last Jedi, uh, Luke Skywalker actually asks her after she wanders through the island, he says, who are you? Who are you? And so this is a consistent question that uh, it, it, it moves the drama and the story forward. Uh, Black Panther, the same thing. The movie concludes with the line, who are you, as the question is directed uh, at uh, the Black Panther himself. And so the Black Panther kind of has to find out if he is also his father's legacy or if he has to, in a sense, embrace uh, a new path and find a new sense of being, not just becoming who, he, who his father was, but being something more than that. And so this drives the human drama. But the Gospel of John is, in a sense, the complete opposite of that. Jesus knows exactly who he is, and Jesus is trying to declare this consistently to us. So it reverses the script of the human drama in terms of who are you. We are asking Jesus, who are you, and we, in a sense, keep missing the point. And no other book in the Bible does this better than the Gospel of John, and it's why we've selected to do this. Because the Gospel of John, the purpose that the Apostle John had in writing it was that we would believe in Jesus. Not just believe that he did miraculous things, not just believe that he did awesome things, but that we would believe who he claimed to be, the Messiah, the Son of God, God himself. That we would come to believe and so it's a self-declaration consistently of Jesus trying to tell us, hey, you're missing the point of who I am. And every time you lack trust in different areas, you're forgetting who I actually am. And so this is important when we approach, for example, the Lazarus story, which is where we will be today. We can often forget that Jesus is God, that he is the author of life, and that he does purpose his way through suffering, though sometimes we don't see how. See, the Gospel of John consistently, over and over again, Jesus is trying to emphasize three things to us. Those three things are that Jesus is God, that Jesus saves, and that Jesus satisfies. This is a consistent threefold message of the Gospel of John. Jesus is God, he saves, and he satisfies. Those three are inseparable and so even in the, uh, throughout different chapters, not just chapter 11 of the Gospel of John, you find these I am statements made by Jesus. They're all over the place. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life, as we will see today. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And so he reveals those three items perfectly and consistently I am God, I save, and I satisfy. When he says, I am the door of the sheep, uh, as Brian was uh, talking about uh, when he uh, went over chapter 10 last week, when he says, I am the, the door of the sheep, or I am the good shepherd in chapter 10, especially when he says chapter, uh, in chapter 10, I am the good shepherd, he's saying, you remember Psalm 23, where you pray the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he makes me lie in green pastures, that's me. 
The Lord is my shepherd. I am the Lord. I am the good shepherd. So I am God. And guess what? I will make you lie in green pastures. I will save you and I will satisfy you. Consistently, he has to remind us of this. No more powerful I am statement is there in the Gospel of John than when in chapter 8, verse 58, he says, before Abraham was, I am. If at any point you had a doubt of whether or not Jesus actually thought he was God, that's where it's answered. Aside from John 1, 1, where it says in the beginning the word was uh, with God and was God, aside from that, this is the most direct declaration of Jesus saying, I am God. He could have said, before Abraham was, I was. But he distinguishes himself from time by saying, I am. If you say before something, I am, logically speaking, you're saying you not only precede that event, you in fact are above time. God created time. Jesus says, I am above time. I am separate from time. I am the author of life. I am the author of salvation. I am the creator. Before Abraham was, I am. And it's important for us to remind ourselves of this if we are to struggle with the different afflictions and sufferings that life throws our way. And so with that mentality, remembering that, we approach the story of Lazarus knowing that. We approach the story of Lazarus knowing that in John 20, we are told that everything written in the Gospel of John is so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You can't forget the overall purpose of this gospel. As you read through it, as you struggle with it, you can't forget that Jesus is saying, this is who I am to you, and it matters. I am God, I save, I satisfy. This is so important. And so we go to John chapter 11, knowing this, knowing that he wants us to believe who he actually says he is. We'll, we'll be reading quite a bit. We're going to read every verse that pertains directly to the account of the Lazarus uh, resurrection. And so we will be going through verses 1, uh, from verse 1, excuse me, through all the way through verse 44, and then we'll kind of unpack some of the hidden gems. I, I should also say, I'm not going to hit everything that's worth hitting here because it's just too much. Furthermore, Pastor Jason, a few series ago, did an amazing job that has been making me feel inadequate for the last two weeks as I think about this message because it was just so good. So you need to go back and check that sermon out. So let's start at verse 1 of John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. We should pause here just for a second and know that this event actually hasn't happened. It will happen later in the Gospel of John. And so it gives a little context as to why uh, she would wipe his feet with her hair. She knew by then who Jesus is. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Make sure to underline that. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. 
Now Jesus, uh, by the way, let's just clarify what glorified mean. If he had glory, if he is glorious, what does it mean to say that he may be glorified? That his full splendor, brilliance, radiance, and glory, his, the fullness of who he is would be revealed and apparent and plain to us. So it's about revelation. Let's keep reading. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And of course, we're scratching our heads. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12, day, 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And what he means by that, again, this is one area we're not going to talk about today, but what he's saying is that his ministry is still at hand, and he's, this is the moment for him to act. And that when we, as long as we are here on this earth, it, it, we, we have a purpose and a ministry to accomplish. But again, we'll talk about that at some other time. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus is falling asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if, he's, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Basically saying, you don't need to go risk your life for this because he's, he's okay. Now, Jesus had spoken of his, death, of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Again, this repeated, or at least in context repeated, concept in the Gospel of John that we would believe. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us, go, let us also go, that we may die with him. At least Thomas was like, all right, well, let's just go to our deaths. Let's follow him, uh, regardless of the cost. Again, that's a separate message on its own. We'll, come, we'll talk about it at some other point. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. See, the first point, thank you, by the way, for uh, enduring a long reading, but the first point that we see in this story is that God's glory and his radical love for us are one and the same. God's glory and his radical love for us are one and the same. And we have this sinful predisposition to think that they are at opposing ends. In fact, that's our jerk initial reaction, to think that the, 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 the glory that God is supposed to receive sometimes is inconvenient to me, and because it's inconvenient to me, It's not necessarily in keeping with his love for me. But Jesus tells us, or through the the gospel of John, Jesus is showing that both are not just compatible. They are one and the same. They are two sides of the same coin. And until you believe that, we are not ready to process suffering. We are not ready to process the sovereignty of God. We're not ready to process how to... uh, believe when we don't see God at work. We have to understand that his glory, his revelation, his declaration to the world is in direct keeping with his radical love for us. We see this in verses four through six. So we highlight those to unpack that point that God's glory and his radical love for us are one and the same. In verse 4, it says, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So there it is, God's glory. That's the purpose. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So out of love, he allows, not just for this event to happen, but for this event to be a certainty in the minds of people This person is dead, and it is a result of his love and a result of the glory of God being being revealed. See, Jesus knows that Lazarus was going to die. So when he says this illness does not lead to death, it's not like Jesus was caught off guard when Lazarus died. He meant it does not lead to ultimate death. This leads to resurrection. This leads to God power and glory. This leads to life. Not death. Death doesn't have the final word. 
And so we must understand that God's glory and his radical love for us are one and the same. Because when something happens, because it requires God's glory to be revealed, in fact, Jesus is saying, I just want you to see who I am. And it's going to happen through this venue that you don't understand and through this event that's going to hurt. But without this event happening, you cannot see the fullness of who I am. And you will see it in such a powerful way that it will, it will make any present suffering, any present tribulation, nothing in comparison. Paul says it, as we will see later in Romans, he says that, for I consider that the present suffering is not worth comparing to the glory of God. It will happen in such a way, when it finally does, which it may not be now, it'll only be for sure for all of us when we come face to face with Jesus. But we will see that there is eternal weight of glory beyond comparison with the suffering that we have today. We must understand that his revelation of who he is so that we would believe is in keeping with how he loves us. Him declaring who he is to us so that we would believe and trust in him as God and satisfying and saving is in keeping with his love and interest in us. He wants the best for us because he loves us. And they are one and the same. We must renew our minds and through the power of the Holy Spirit because it, it's not in us, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, we must pray and seek that God would open our eyes to see things we just can't naturally see. And this truth is essential for us in our walk through life and its trials and tribulations and, heck, even death. It's tough, though, because we see, again, his glory as being brought about at the expense of my suffering. It's a natural reaction. So at the expense of your glory, my suffering, great. That person died, who I loved, and it's for your glory. We're going to see what Jesus has to say about that. Point number two, Jesus wants you to be certain of who he is in all his glory. Point number one is that glory of God and his love for us are synonymous. They're in the, they're the same, two sides of the same coin. Well, point number two is that Jesus wants you to be certain of who he is in all of his glory. So you have to understand the message, the overall message of the gospel of John is that we would read this and know who he is and believe in him. See, sometimes the Christian faith gets this bad rap for being this step into the unknown Blind faith, as people say. But it's not a blind faith. It is based on historical events. You know that one of the premier scientists on this planet, in the field of genetics, co-founder or a co-leader of the Genome Project in the 90s and current director of the NIH, the primary founding, uh, the primary funding, excuse me, institution of federal money towards research in health sciences. His name is Francis Collins. He's an MD-PhD, and he is the head of the NIH, the primary federal funding agency, and he was part of the Genome Project in the 90s. This guy who is at the top of his field says there is substantial evidence of the events of Jesus, even his resurrection, to the point where I was convinced to abandon atheism. This is Francis Collins. 
Now you may say, oh yeah, and there's Richard Dawkins. Yes, but Francis Collins is at the top of his field. And so this notion that for some reason resurrection and believing in this is just blind faith, no. We have evidence, historical evidence. We have pointers in all different areas of life, philosophical, existential crises, and and scientific pointers that all lead us to this question of God. There seems to be a God. And then Jesus steps into history and says, actually, here I am. Here I am. This is who I am. Do you believe? Jesus wants you to be certain of who he is, not just because there's science evidence or just because there's religions and there's Christian groups. He wants you to believe who he is because he wants you to be certain. He wants you to see the evidence. If not, why would he say in verse 4 of John chapter 11, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Again, if I understand what glorified means, it means revelation of Jesus in his full splendor, brilliance, identity, God. He is saying, I am here. I am God. I'm the author of life. So that the Son of God, Jesus, may be revealed in his fullness. He doesn't want you to, eh, I think he's God. Eh, yeah, he was a good teacher. He's a good moral teacher. You know, he, uh, he, he did some pretty cool stuff. He cared about the poor. He wants you to know. Why would he put the glory of God with the Son of God being glorified? He wants to be fully revealed. In verses 14 and 15, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake... I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. This isn't a God or a Jesus that doesn't want to show evidence of who he is. He shows signs. The problem is the people in the Gospels that always wanted more signs. Yeah, 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 I saw that. Can you show me again? Can you show me again? Can you do that trick again? Can you show me again? I'm not sure. Why don't you show us signs? Some of the uh, people would ask him. Why don't you do a sign? He's like, Why am I going to give you another sign? I've been giving you signs, and you still don't believe. Jesus doesn't want us to blindly believe. He wants us to see who he is and what he does. Resurrection power. That's what he wants you to see. Author of life, creator, sustainer of the universe. I am before time. He wants you to see this. In verses 39 and 40 of the same chapter, Jesus said, take away the the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God through me? Because I am God. He wants you to see. He's not just saying, trust in what I'm saying. Trust in what I'm doing. Trust in who I am and who you see what I am doing and who you see I look like. I look like the Father. Point number three Jesus weeps at suffering and death. Commentaries have different opinions, different theologians have different opinions at what Jesus was crying at. Some theologians say, well, he wasn't crying because. Lazarus died, for he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows Lazarus is going to be alive in two seconds. Why is he crying over that? And 
Thank you, Dick. Thank you for saying that. One of the common theories in commentaries and by different theologians is that, in fact, what greatly troubled Jesus was that they still don't believe who he is. He's going to resurrect Lazarus in a few minutes. He is greatly troubled to the point of weeping at, and, frustrating at, and frustrated at two things, unbelief and death and sin in the world. That's what he's greatly troubled about. It's not lack of compassion for Lazarus. In fact, his love leads him to resurrect him so that all of them, including Lazarus, would know who he is because glory of God and my good are synonymous. So he does love Lazarus. He wants to resurrect him. But please understand, it's not just that Lazarus died that's making him weep. It's the unbelief and the presence of suffering and death that is in the world. What sin has caused is so disturbing, and he's come face to face with what humanity started. Death and suffering because of the consequence of our sin. So Jesus weeps at suffering and death and unbelief. When Jesus saw her weeping, in verse 33, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? It's almost like he's, where have you laid him? Show me to him. Because he just can't, he, he, he's moved by the lack of unbelief. Like, look at what he's done consistently, and they forget. They said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the, Jesus, the Jews said, see how he loved him. And here it is, like, why wouldn't you be troubled when you can hear some of them say, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also kept this man from dying? And so it's almost as if he hears his thoughts, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the womb, to the tomb, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, not to the womb, that would have been odd. <laughs> not to the womb. <laughs> I tried to keep, keep my cool, but Jason laughed, so. <laughs> <laughs> So what we see is that this, this lack of belief moves him so much because he's just so, uh, in, in, in his human nature, frustrated by the lack of belief. His, oh, his glorification, his self-revealing, consistently pointing to who he is. He keeps saying, I am, throughout all of the chapters of John. He keeps saying, or he says in John chapter 8, a few chapters before, before Abraham was, I am. Do you not understand? I and the Father are one. I am here. The creator and sustainer of the universe, the author of life, is here before Lazarus. And you still don't believe. Do you not recognize me? Point number four, when we are in the midst of suffering, Jesus wants us to remember who he is and what he is capable of. When we are in the midst of suffering, Jesus wants us to remember who he is and what he is capable of. In verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Pause. Just one moment. Pause. 
It was a common belief, not by all Jews, but by many Jews, including those that are present there, that there would be a resurrection on the last day. This wasn't referring to all the the apocalyptic stuff that we know or or the eventual new heaven and earth that Jesus talks about. They just commonly believed this. So she's not saying, I know what you've told us. I, I know that, that this is going to happen. She's saying, I believe this. So they believed in the resurrection. And so she's saying, yeah, I know someday he's going to resurrect. I know, Jesus. You're right. Someday he's going to resurrect. Jesus is saying, do you not understand that I am the one that brings and causes that? Do you not understand that... It's not that there's going to be a resurrection day. I am resurrection. I am the author of life. I provide eternal life. That thing that you're waiting for in the future, true as it may be, there will be that day. But it's me that does it. It's founded and based and placed on who Jesus is. If we fail to see that the way she failed to see that, We don't understand who Jesus is. She's saying, I know there's a resurrection day. He's saying, do you understand? I'm the one that does that. I am. I bring about liberty, freedom. I bring about the self-revelation of God, the glory of God in its full splendor and might and brilliance to let you know that I am God. Do you not understand? I can do this right now. I can bring him to life right now. You're forgetting, yes, we know God's going to bring a resurrection day, but I am the resurrection. I am the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus wants her in the midst of her suffering to see that he's not just someone that's powerful in prophecy and sent by God, he is God. There is a resurrection day, but it's because of him. He is the causant. He is the catalyst of this event. He is the author of it. He is the creator, the sustainer. He is, I am, before Abraham was. So when we, when we see how Martha reacts, it's understandable that Jesus is just making sure Do you not see that it's not just that there's a resurrection day? I am the resurrection. Do you believe this? Just think of the overarching theme of the gospel of John that we said at the beginning. So that you would believe. This event is here so that you would believe. It happened to them so that they would believe. But this is here so that you would believe who he is and what he's capable of doing. This is for you. We said it, heck, at the end of John, in John chapter 20, the second to last chapter, it says that this was written so that we would believe and in believing we would have life. This is for you to know who he is. Remind yourself, when you're in the midst of that suffering, remind yourself of who he is and what he is capable of. Even if you don't see how it turns out. This... You know, one of the things that really struck me is, as I was, uh, you know, praying and wrestling through this account of the Lazarus resurrection is that it's easy for me to stand up here and say, yeah, look at the Lazarus account. Even when we can't see in the moment of suffering, God does great things afterwards. And 
And it's kind of unfair to an extent because, well, Lazarus came back to life four days later. He came back to life four days later. There are people in this room that are saying, yeah, it's, it's been eight years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Hasn't been four days, Ricardo. It hasn't. It's been painful. I don't understand. I haven't seen the glory of God that you are saying is synonymous with our good. I'm not seeing this. I'm still waiting. Where is God? Where is the resurrection God? Where is he? Because I don't understand. In the present turbulence that I'm experiencing in my life, this, this madness and the pain and suffering, the death, the cancer, I don't see God. I don't see what they saw. You're saying this is written so I would believe, but I can't see it. But Jesus, importantly, so you must understand, he asked them to believe before he performed it. He asked her before he had done it. Why? Because Jesus wants us to remember what he's capable of when we are in the midst of what we are now. We must remember what he has done before. You have to look at what he has done and who he's proven to you time after time and after time, who he's proven to you, who he is, so that you would wait your version of the four days, whatever that is, years, however long that may be. He wants you to know, and guess what? You're going to know in such a powerful way, and you're going to see it in such a glorious way. Even though you can't see it now, you must trust in this. You know something? Here's what's so amazing about how God will reveal it to you in the future. Jesus wants you to know who he is without a shadow of a doubt. You know why Jesus waited two days? Most theologians agree that Lazarus was already dead by the time they reached Jesus. Get this. By the time they reached Jesus to tell him who... The one you love, Lazarus, is dead or is dying, is sick. You can save him. He had already died. Most likely, most theologians agree uh, certainly with this conclusion. So why did Jesus wait two extra days? It turns out at the time there was this superstition among some Jewish people that the soul hovers around the body for two days and that well, it could kind of, before the body starts to look like it's decomposing and before it has an odor, the soul may come back and resurrect. Jesus didn't want anyone to doubt one bit who he is. He waited two days Lazarus was already dead so that we would have no superstition, no scientific explanation, no reason, no logic that could explain the impossible of what Jesus just did. He wants you to be certain and see it in such a way that you just have to, wow, yes, that was God. That was him. It was in such an amazing way. I can't, it's just, it's him. I am not confused. I am not doubting. Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the I Am, the Anointed One. He is the author of life, the sustainer, salvation. He is the good shepherd. He is the door. He is the light. Everything he's been saying to me, there he is. So when you are in the midst of suffering, remember, Jesus wants you to not see how it's going to turn out. Just remember his power and what he does. 
You believe, remember what he does, because he's going to do it again. There's a song we sing here that says, I've seen you move. You move the mountains. I believe. I'll see you do it again. I'll see you do it again. We believe in what we've seen, even though we can't see right now the way Martha and Mary couldn't see four days ahead of them. And yes, we may not be able to see how this all turns out. And we may have to wait decades. We may have to wait forever. We may have to wait, but at some point we will see Jesus face to face. And we will see this full glory. If you feel like in your suffering God is not present, here's the catch. We're, we're called in our path of faith to suffer as he suffered. What did Jesus say on the cross? How did Jesus feel? Deserted. Why have you forsaken me? So remember this. Jesus isn't asking you to go alone through that suffering. He went through it for you. And he knows what it's like to feel abandoned. Because guess what? Newsflash. We're not abandoned. The father actually abandoned him. Otherwise, he didn't pay for our sins. The Father, the perfect communion between two, you know, the, the, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, Father, and Jesus, it's so complexly unique that they are one. And yet the Father disapproves at that moment on the cross of Jesus, even though he's the perfect servant. Why does he disapprove of him? Because Jesus took the wrath of God upon him for us. He was abandoned by the Father. So remember this, when you feel like, God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus has been there. And he's saying, believe who I am. You've seen me move. I'll do it again. Just hold on to that hope. Hold on to that hope. Hold on to who he is. He is the author of life. He will bring about the glory that will show you why this was for your good and not for bad. This is why Paul says, for I consider that these sufferings of the, of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We will see glory, glory, and glory. We will see it. We must trust. He will reveal this. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Later in chapter 8, he says, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In 2 Corinthians, he says, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We will see it. Just remember who Jesus is. This was written so that you would believe. As the band comes up, let's pray. Father, we've gone through this journey of Lazarus other times. Maybe for some of us it's new, but for a lot of us in this room, it's not new. We know it, but sometimes in our sinfulness, we do forget who you are. We do forget that you did this so that we would believe and trust.
that your glory will be revealed and that your glory is not at the expense of me, but that your glory is synonymous with your love for me. Remind us of this, Father. As we suffer currently, there are people in this room suffering atrocities, Father. There are people in this room who have suffered in the past atrocities, death, neglect, abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse. And we ask, why? Why have you forsaken me? But Father, we see that you sent your son to be forsaken for us. And we know that you're saying it will be revealed and that you've done this for our love. You've allowed these things to happen in some weird way for your glory so that we would hold on to who you are. And that we, and we ask you, Father, remind us as the week goes and as the months go, remind us that this light and momentary affliction, as painful as it may be, will be nothing when we are face to face with you in the power of your might, glory, and resurrection. When we see everything redeemed and death turned around, when we see those that, that, that have gone on in the faith come and stand before us saying, yes, glory to the Lamb who was slain. When we see that, Father, remind us that this day will happen. All things are possible with you, Father. Jesus, you are the Son of God. Remind us that you are the I Am and that nothing is impossible with you. Comfort us in our affliction. As the ushers come forth for the tithes and offerings, Father, we pray that, that giving would be an exercise of faith and of worship, though we can't see how it works out, Father. We know that when we give, we're declaring we don't trust this, we trust you. And we know that we are giving for a good cause, a cause to spread this message so that others would believe, as your gospel says. Multiply the tithes and offerings. Be with us today. Encourage us in the moments of affliction. We pray all of this in your holy name. Amen. podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.